Welcome to Australian Hiker. We're your hosts, Tim and Jill Savage. This is episode 48 of the Australian Hiker podcast, and this week's episode is titled Choosing a Tent for Hiking. Before we get into the topic for today, I'd just like to remind you that over the last month or so, we'd run a series of competitions uh, to celebrate our first anniversary of Australian Hiker. Uh, And the most recent and the last of our competitions uh, is going to be drawn and announced at the end of this episode. And to enter this competition, all you needed to do was to sign up uh, and subscribe to our uh, monthly newsletters. Uh, And this was open to not only people that subscribed over the last few weeks, but also those that had previously subscribed. So if you have subscribed in the past, uh, pay attention towards the end of the episode, because who knows, you may just uh, win a gift voucher to Wild Earth. Now, this week's episode, Choosing a Tent for Hiking. If you belong to any of the uh, online forums for hiking, without a doubt, probably the most common question that it gets asked is what sort of tent or what sort of shelter should we be using for hiking? And unfortunately, there really is no correct answer for this. Um, This really depends on the individual and the type of hiking that you're going to be going through and doing. Recently, we went through and... uh, posted a survey online on our Facebook page uh, to try and get an indication of what sort of uh, shelters or what sort of tents people used when they were hiking. And we'll go through and talk about some of those statistics uh, as we discuss today's topic. But just to give you an idea, the majority of hikers use a double skin, three season tent as their main form of shelter. And in fact, this accounted for 82% of our recent survey. A further 8% used single skin tents. So really when you think about it, we've got 90, in fact, just over 90% of people are using tents as their main form of hiking shelter. Now, other options do exist. So things like tarps, swags, and hammocks. Uh, And for those really brave souls, uh, cowboy camping, where you don't use a tent at all, uh, but these uh, these forms of shelters or forms of sleeping outdoors really are in the minority. Uh, and certainly if you go on any longer trails like the Overland Track or the Larapenta Trail, by far the mass, vast majority of, uh, of shelters you're seeing are tents. You'll find that once you have been hiking for a while, you'll more than likely own more than one shelter. And that's uh, the case for both Jill and I. We currently own two tents, uh, and I'm just in the process of planning a third purchase or a third tent uh, specifically for my long distance hike that I'm going through and planning for next year. Now in choosing a tent for hiking there are a number of factors that people tend to use and we're going to go through and discuss the most common of these. Uh, Now most of these I'll say up front are generalizations because there are exceptions to just about everything we're going to be talking about today. So let's get into it. Now, the first thing we're going to talk about is tent size. 
Uh, and this really relates to the number of people that are going to be using your tent. It should be a fairly simple sort of thing to choose. So in other words, I want a one-person tent or a two-person tent or a three or a four, depending on what you're planning on. But this is some, this doesn't always work out as simple as it sounds. Tent manufacturers will label their tents as one or two or three-person tents. But be warned that manufacturers tend to work on an arbitrary typical hiker, and there doesn't appear to be an industry standard like there is with um, ratings on sleeping bags that I could find. So really, when you think about it, um, are you 160 centimetres tall uh, or are you 190 centimetres tall? Are you a slim build or are you on the solid side? Really, there's no such thing as the average person. And these days, with the modern materials that tents are made of, there's not a huge weight difference in most cases between a one-person and two-person version of the same tent. I, I think that's a particularly important point to make. And I do look at some uh, two-person tents and think, oh, you know, it's marginally bigger than a one-person Um it's a bit like buying a bed, really, particularly if you're, you're traveling with um, a partner. And it's always a good idea to um, get inside the tent, if, if you possibly can, in the shop um, and test them out for size um, until you're actually in there moving about and trying to work out where you're going to put all of your uh, personal bits and pieces. Uh, you don't really get a sense of uh, how the tent might work for you. And that's actually quite a good suggestion. I mean, a lot of the, the outdoor stores that I go into will have um, at least uh, a one or two, if not more, of their tents that they sell up uh, available to try out. Be really careful with, some, with, with doing this, though, that typically when you're getting into a tent in a store and seeing what the length and the height, height and the width are like, you're doing it with just your, your street clothes on. You haven't got a pack, you haven't got a sleeping bag, haven't got a, uh, loose sets of clothing and everything else that's likely to be filling up the inside of your tent. So if you or you and your partner get inside one of these tents in a store and think, up, oh, yep, what works, it's pretty good sort of size, uh, but it's, you know, it's pretty tight on fit. Once you actually load all the equipment that you're likely to have inside in there, it may be just a bit small. Now, when we're talking about uh, size of tents, we need to consider factors such as length, width, and height. Length tends to be a bit more obvious. Uh, for me, I'm 188 centimetres tall, so it means that I need a tent that's at least that uh, in length. Uh, but given that I don't want to be pressing up against the end of uh, either end of the tent, um, I probably need at least another uh, 15 centimetres on top of that. Tim, you just fill the tent. You, <laughs> you, you will lie diagonally across the tent. It doesn't really matter. <laughs> so, you know, from my perspective, if I add 30 centimetres on top of my height, that puts me at around about the 215, 218 centimetre uh, length. And in fact, that's pretty much about the sizing of my tent at the moment. Width, um, again, Trying to get two individuals sleeping side by side on a tent that's fairly narrow uh, can be a bit of a push. And again, once you put your sleeping bags, uh, your torch, your snacks, whatever else you have in there, it can be a bit of a tight squeeze. 
Uh, so be very conscious of this. And it's not unusual, particularly for uh, people to say, well, we've got two people in this tent. Let's go for a three-person tent just to give a bit of extra flexibility. And in symmetrical tents, we've even tried the top and tail sleeping um, pattern. Uh, that doesn't help either. <laughs> <laughs> And the last thing as far as height or measurement is concerned really comes down to um, uh, the, the height of the tent. Um, when you're sitting up inside of the tent, if you're a tall hiker and you've got to bend over or crouch over, um, it can be a bit uncomfortable. So quite often very lightweight or ultralight tents will often um, skimp or skim down on the, the length, width and height just to save weight. But uh, you, you, in, in saving weight, you may actually be uh, uh, losing out on comfort or livability. So really, how much space you want in a tent really will often depend on how close you are with the person you're going to be sharing it. Now, the second consideration is what sort of conditions are you going to be using it in? Uh, and the most common things we talk about when we're cho- uh, thinking about this is, do we want a three-season or a four-season tent? A three-season tent is designed to suit the average hiker uh, through three seasons. In other words, not through the middle of winter when it's snowing and potentially in the colder climates, um, uh, but three-season tents will often cope with uh, some degree of snow, but it, you really don't want to push the friendship here. These tents will often have, as their inner layer, um, a lot of bug mesh or insect mesh, uh, and this helps to get a bit of airflow. Uh, but as a result, you can be a bit cooler in the cold conditions. Uh, but the airflow, particularly in the warmer conditions, is going to keep you uh, not so hot. A four-season tent is just that. It's designed to be used year-round in snow conditions, uh, also with low temperatures, and they will usually cope with higher winds more so uh, than three-season tents. But again, this is a generalisation. These sort of tents, their inner skin, if you like, will often be a solid material, uh, so it will maintain the heat, but they will also tend to maintain the moisture as well. So if in the middle of summer, they can end up building up a bit of condensation and be a bit hot. Um, but And if they're set up properly, they will cope with snow reasonably well. These sort of tents typically tend to be more expensive, uh, and in all honesty, they're not the most common tents on the market. So of our recent survey, 88% of hikers who uh, completed our survey used the three-season tent. Consideration number three is cost versus weight versus durability. And there's a general rule in hiking or when choosing hiking equipment uh, that we need to consider, and that is where do we want to sit in relation to cost, weight, and durability? And typically, you can only tend to have two of these things. If something is really durable, it generally has heavier weight or more robust uh, uh, material. Uh, as a result, the weight will be increased. If something is really lightweight, uh, they're using very high-technology fabrics, uh, and as a result, they, they will cost more. And lightweight tents, really lightweight tents, as a general rule, aren't as durable. So you really need to consider which ones of these are important. So cost of a tent or the price of a tent is going to vary widely. 
You can purchase very cheap tents online that's or at some of the big chain stores. But the old adage of you pay for what you get is worth considering here. Uh, now, there is no right and wrong answer here. If you're overnight hiking on a regular basis, it's worthwhile spending a bit more and getting a better quality tent. If you rarely ever overnight and just want a tent that's going to do you occasionally, going for a cheaper tent may well be the way to go. The choice is wide open here. Now, 60% of the survey respondents identified price as being a consideration when choosing a tent. Weight. The tent weight, um, the tent is often considered to be one of the big three. And when we talk about the big three, we talk about the three heaviest pieces or biggest pieces of hiking equipment we tend to carry. And this is the pack, the sleeping bag, and the shelter, in this case, the tent. Uh, so whatever tent you buy is going to be up to you as long as you're willing to carry it. Now, we're talking about tents for hikers here as opposed to car camping where you drive to a site, get your tent out of the car, set it up, and, and sleep. In that situation, you can go for very large, big, bulky tents with lots of space, lots of room, lots of features – uh, but you wouldn't necessarily want to be carrying these in your backpack. No, it's, a, it's okay under those circumstances for two people to carry your tent. <laughs> <laughs> and that may be what you need to do in that case. Um, so as I said, 60% of respondents identified price as being the main consideration. And as I mentioned, weight, weight and uh, price often tend to be inverse. The lighter the weight of the tent, usually uh, the more expensive it happens to be. Now, when you're researching tent weight, you need to go through and consider packed weight. And this is a term that includes the tent itself, the poles, the tent pegs, uh, and the guy ropes. So if you see a, um, uh, a term what's often used as minimum weight, uh, that will often be much lower than the packed weight. But in all honesty, you, you can't really use a tent without all the, uh, the, the poles and the pegs. Um, you need to do a you need to compare apples to apples in this sort of situation. You can often end up stripping a lot of this stuff out if you don't need it. Uh, you may actually use on some tents the hiking poles instead of tent poles, uh, but you need to do a direct comparison when you're trying to consider how light a tent is going to be. Now, in regards to weight, 91% of respondents identified weight as being the major factor in choosing a tent. And in some respects, this surprised me. Um, Often when you see the hiking forums and the discussion on tents, one of the big factors tends to be um, uh, based on price. Uh, and I didn't think uh, weight was going to be a real issue, but certainly there from our survey, weight was an issue when choosing a tent. I think the other thing is, particularly if you're camping um, or hiking with um several people or people who are going to be sharing your tent, the thing that we do forget is that you, you can actually um, pull the components of the tent apart and someone can carry the tent itself, someone else can carry um, the tent poles and so on. So it does lessen the impact of the weight of the tent if you split the tent up that way. And as Jill mentioned, you know, if you're two individuals hiking together, uh, quite often you will tend to have your own tents. And, and added together, it's not unusual for those two one-person tents to weigh more than a two-person tent. So there are advantages to hiking as a couple. Now, durability. Maybe that's just hiking in twos rather than necessarily as a couple. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. <laughs> okay, now durability. 
Tents that are really durable often tend to be heavier, as mentioned. If you're the sort of person that's rough on your equipment or the environmental conditions are really harsh, you may want to consider something that's a bit more robust. Now, one of the other options you can choose that will help you extend the life of your tent is to use a ground sheet, which is a a separate sheet of material that goes under the base of the tent and provides a barrier uh, between your tent and the ground that helps to protect it from sharp protrusions. So for us, when we did the Larapinta Trail last year, we certainly used the ground sheet because even in very cleared off areas, there was all these little sharp protrusions poking through the bottom of the the tent, which we needed to protect it from. Now, the last thing we want to go through to consider, and this is where it can get a bit complex, is tent features. Uh, And there's a number of, although we've gone through and picked the main features to consider here. Do we want a single skin or a double skin tent? And when we're talking about single skin tents, we're talking about one layer. We don't have a tent body with a tent fly over the top. So we just have one layer, which is usually lighter, but they can, uh, but not always, have problems with condensation, particularly if you're pushing up against the ends of the tent. Single skin tents also usually pack down to a smaller size because there is less material. Um, And as mentioned, only 8% of hikers who responded to our survey used single-skin tents. Having said that, I am looking at my next tent purchase at a single-skin tent for next year, purely based on the weight. Double-skin tents have an inner and outer layer, and the outer layer is what forms the the weather protection in most cases. Um, They usually tend to be slightly heavier, and as a general rule, have less issues with condensation. Double skin tents often tend to be more versatile, but not always. And by this, I mean they can be erected in a number of different configurations. So currently, we use a Big Agnes Copper Spur 2 tent. Um, you can actually use the fly with the, um, the ground sheet, and that forms almost like a tarp uh, uh, version. Uh, we can use just the, uh, uh, the, the tent shell itself, uh, which is fine in warm weather as, as bug-proofing. Uh, or we can use the tent and the fly uh, in conjunction. So it's a bit more versatile. Next consideration is front entry versus side entry. Now, this is as it sounds. Side entry tents open up on one or both sides of the tent, and usually, but again, not always, one-person tents tend to have one opening. But there are some varieties of tents or some brands of tents that have double openings, even on uh, one-person tents. I personally prefer a side-entry tent, and if you are sharing a tent with someone else, really this is the way to go. Uh, I just find that if you're having to get up in the middle of the night, as those of us who are older often have to do, um, on a a front-entry tent, you're you're really tend to disturb the person that's sleeping with you. A a side-entry tent, you're disturbing them less because you're getting out and moving in one direction. You're not trying to climb over the top of someone to get out of the tent. Typically, with side-entry tents as well, you'll often have longer vestibules, and the vestibule is the the porch, is probably the best way to think of this in relation to a house, that runs off the side of your tent. Uh, With our tent, the vestibule runs the full length of the tent, so I can actually get out one side of the uh, 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 the door uh, and not have to climb over the pack when I'm getting outside. 
Now, 78% of hikers who responded to our survey uh, preferred a side entry tent as opposed to the 22% who preferred front entry. Not as big an issue with single-person uh, single tents, but quite often with single-person tents that do have front entries, they have very small vestibules, which means in wet conditions, your pack will often get a bit wetter. Freestanding versus non-freestanding tents. And this is as it sounds. This is getting a bit technical now. It is. A freestanding tent means that the main part of the tent is self-supporting. So again, our Big Agnes uh, tent, and there are a number of others that do the same sort of things like MSR, uh, they are freestanding without having to be pegged into the ground. And this means that if you're using hiking shelters, so like on the Overland Track or the Larapinta Trail or other similar trails, you don't have to actually uh, physically attach uh, the shelter to the ground. Or if you do, it's only just on loose fashion, whereas a non-freestanding tent uh, relies on being pegged into the ground and on the guy ropes. You also can get tents that are halfway between. They have some freestanding aspects uh, and some non-freestanding aspects, but typical these ones will also rely on the pegs to keep them in place. Even with freestanding tents, the tent fly usually needs to be pegged or tied down. Uh, otherwise, so with our tent, we can quite easily set up the tent itself, but if we don't attach the fly, it means it's draping against the side of the tent and it's not really forming the vestibule. So it's um, um, there's no such thing as a totally freestanding tent. Uh, there's sort of a, it's the, we're talking about the body of the tent here. Other features to consider um, are things like reflective guy ropes for visibility at night. And if you've ever tripped over a tent uh, guy rope at night, you'll know what I mean here. The ability to use tracking poles instead of dedicated tent poles, and this will help reduce the weight of what you carry. But this only works if you're used to using uh, tracking poles. Vestibule size, uh, which provides protection for your pack and also uh, keeps uh, the wet weather out of your tent when you're getting in and out of the tent. Interior storage options, including things like gear lofts and pockets, to store all the little bits and pieces inside the tent. Uh, and for me, I tend to put um, my glasses, uh, my phone, um, I'll put my camera in the, uh, the little gear pockets, just so I don't sort of tread on them or, or damage them when I'm moving around the tent at night. Colour, really a choice here. Um, uh, some tents tend to be very bright, so they're very obvious and easy to find. Some tents also tend to be camouflaged, so they blend in. Personal preference here, uh, there's no one better choice over another. Um, uh, but sometimes you don't want to be seen if you're trying to uh, keep your tent um, less obvious. Uh, so you'll find that often that... Uh, Tent or tent companies will tend to have particular colours they use for their entire range. In relation to colour, we've also got colour coding. Um, now, just to give you an idea, as I said, we own a, a Big Agnes Copper Spur 2 tent, and the tags on the ends of the tent where the tent poles go, go into are colour coded. 
which means when we're putting the tent fly, they also have matching colors. So if you can't tell, you've just got to look at what color tab uh, matches up. It makes it a bit easier. Uh, and the ground sheet as well, also color-coded. So uh, ground sheets, not always, but will often be very rectangular in shape, and it can be difficult to tell which is up and which is down. So this means that they're, uh, they're very obviously by the color coding in place. And the last thing we'll probably think about in this sort of respect is fabric type. There are lots of different high-tech fabrics on the market, uh, and generally... The mainstream manufacturers, which often mean the more expensive tents, will often uh, use very high-quality, high-technology fabrics, uh, which tend to be lighter uh, and also tend to be very weatherproof and very durable. Um, these are the companies that tend to do or use all the, the materials first and do all the research into them um, before they filter down into the, into the cheaper tents. One other consideration to think of is after-sales service. So as I said, brand-name tents cost more and will often come uh, with uh, additional features, but they also tend to come with better warranties as well. Uh, so the higher-quality, high-end tents tend to have fairly good-quality uh, uh, warranties, uh, which means if you break something apart from wear and tear, you stand a better opportunity of um, uh, getting bits and pieces replaced. And on that topic, if you do lose or break pieces, uh, how easy are they to replace? Uh, so when you think about things like uh, aluminium or fiberglass tent poles, they tend to be very specific to the tent that you are using. So that means that if you break one, you need to replace that particular model and that particular brand. Uh, and the brands that are sold worldwide, which mean the bigger companies, just tend to be a bit easier to source. Now, one last thing that I'll talk about before we move on from tents is don't forget the tent pegs. Typically, with most uh, brands of tents, they will supply tent pegs as part of the package. Um, but there are so many choices available in tent pegs, um, there's no one perfect peg for all situations. So when we go hiking, I'll usually carry a number of sand slash snow pegs. Uh, these actually go into very loose ground or snow and hold quite well. Uh, they will also, we use them quite regularly on the overland track on the tent platforms because the tent platforms had were a series of boards with spaces in between and the spaces were just wide enough to wedge the sand pegs in between and hold the guy ropes in place. So the tent pegs that had the more complex structure that had the, the three sort of veins or the, uh, the, the wings on them uh, to, to grip into the ground didn't tend to form that function quite as well. Uh, so for me, I always tend to carry a, at least a couple of different types of tent pegs, uh, the standard ones, and as I said, a few sand pegs. I find it's really rare that I don't use the sand pegs uh, in a lot of situations where we're hiking. And the other thing is that you can actually get um, a different range of um, tent pegs and ultralight tent pegs that work pretty well as, as well. So, you know, you don't have to use the pegs that come with the tent. Um, think about what you need. Uh, sometimes those pegs tend to be uh, a little bit heavier and perhaps not as durable. 
One thing I would say on tent pegs is um, sometimes you'll get uh, MSR is a good example here. They produce a, a very large range of tent pegs. Typically, they tend to be red in color, which is their their color. Um, and you'll often see other tent pegs that look almost exactly the same from a much cheaper price. And for me, I'm quite happy to pay the additional price because the quality tends to be a lot better. And I've had almost identical looking tent pegs just collapse and fall apart in even slightly hard ground. They just don't take any force. So spend a bit of extra money. You don't, you, you don't not going to use a lot of tent pegs to set your tent up. And typically it's not a regular thing you're going to have to buy unless you lose them or leave them behind. Okay, so now we've looked at tents. We hope that's been of some assistance for you, particularly if you're a first-time uh, tent buyer. Um, we'll have the written version of this article available online uh, if you're listening to this, and this will have some pictures and images showing some of the terms that we actually talked about during, during this, uh, this uh, podcast. Now we're going to go on to the next of our regular monthly segments of trail news. This is where we look at uh, news that has occurred on hiking trails, mainly in Australia, but also worldwide. For most of you, if you've paid attention to the news, you would have seen that on late November, one person died and two were seriously injured while undertaking repairs on a known rock hazard at Wentworth Falls in the Blue Mountains in New South Wales. This was a hazardous area that had been closed since late August due to a dangerous and unstable section of rock above the walking track. Now, these injuries and this death occurred while undertaking work on the track. Uh, and this is a reminder to all of us that not all rat tracks are maintained and that we may need to pay very close attention to our surroundings, as more often than not, you may be walking in areas that aren't maintained and dangers such as falling rocks or falling tree limbs may not always be as obvious. Uh, so for us, where we tend to do a lot of our hiking in the, uh, the Australian Alps, particularly in the Bimbury Wilderness just outside of Canberra, falling trees and falling tree limbs is a very common hazard. Uh, and, and as a result, we don't camp underneath large trees or even under tree, large uh, trees would have large limbs on them. It's just too big a risk. We'd like to pass our condolences on to the families and friends of the workers, um, uh, the individual who passed away and uh, the two workers who were injured. So now we're going to draw the winners of our final competition. Um, so these are for, uh, again, two $50 gift vouchers, uh, one person each. Um, the gift vouchers are to Wild Earth. And uh, for individuals who were subscribers to our newsletter or new subscribers um, at the commencement of this third competition. So the winners are Jeff Miller, and Jill Bell Chambers. So we'd just like to thank everyone who entered the competition and who subscribed to the our monthly newsletter. Uh, we, Jill and I, are, are working on these newsletters each month to try and make them better each time we put them out. We still have a way to go, uh, but we're getting there and making them uh, hopefully be something that you you enjoy receiving in your inbox each month. Uh, 
So thanks everyone who continues to stay with us. We really appreciate your support. And any feedback you might have would be greatly appreciated. Thank you to everyone uh, for listening to this week's episode. We hope you've enjoyed it. Next week's episode is our bonus episode for uh, December 2017. And we're going to be going through and talking about the Kangaroo Island Wilderness Trail, which is our Christmas hike, which we'll be undertaking towards the end of this month. We're certainly looking forward to this hike uh, and hopefully uh, you'll look forward to reading our review um, in the, uh, the coming three to four weeks as we go through and post. As always, this episode is available uh, to download through our website, through SoundCloud, through Stitcher Radio and also through iTunes. If you have the chance, please go through and rate us on iTunes to help get the message out there. That's all for this week. We hope you've enjoyed. Bye for me. And bye from me.